Hey, I'm so glad you're with us today for this installment of our Prayer 30 uh, emphasis. Uh, we kind of borrowed from the Whole30 diet plan because I found it really intriguing that they had a website that said, you know, you give us 30 days, we'll change your relationship with food. And that's significant. A lot of us could benefit from it greatly. But what if we spend 30 days in prayer? Basically, the whole month of February, we got 29 days this year, plus another one. Um, what if we spend 30 days in prayer? Well, that would change our relationship with God. And so today, we're going to talk about an important um, dimension in prayer that also has a parallel, again, in diet plans. One thing that's really popular right now is a term called intermittent fasting. Because there are physical benefits to fasting, and there are people now who intermittently fast. They'll fast two days a week. It's not so much that they're decreasing or eating a certain type of food. They're just eating less meals. I mean, if we're committed to 21 meals a week, three a day, seven days a week, and I'm committed, okay? Um, if we're committed to that, well, if you take out two days, you've taken out six meals. And now all of a sudden I go from 21 meals worth of calories to 15. Well, that certainly would make a difference, assuming I don't just eat more of the others. The other thing you can do is a lot of times people say, well, you should have a 16-8 plan on intermittent fasting. In other words, I don't eat for 16 hours a day. I only eat during an eight-hour window, which would be like noon to 8 p.m. So I'd skip breakfast every day. Works out about the same again. If I miss breakfast every day for seven days in a row, then I've skipped seven meals out of 21. I'm only eating 14. You can see how the math works. And there's arguments, there's, there's good studies that would say, hey, it helps your body digest food better if you still eat proportionally. Now, if you just compensate and go heavy in all the other meals, it does no good at all. So intermittent fasting has real benefits physically, and that's why you can look it up online. I'm not here today to talk to you about the physical benefits of fasting. I want to talk to you today about the spiritual benefits of fasting. And similar to the physical benefits, if you do it for the wrong reasons or if you do it the wrong way, it won't be of any benefit at all. But if we do it the right way, it can be of great benefit. Now, some of you are going, I can't believe I'm stuck in here talking about fasting. Okay, you're going to be surprised. There's real benefits to this, and I hope this will challenge you today. Will you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, today I want to talk about the benefits of fasting with our prayers. Lord, I pray that you'll challenge us on this. There are dozens and dozens of dozens of great people in the Bible who fasted and prayed often. And we can learn from them. So help us understand a little bit why they did it, how they did it, and what it's all about. Most of all, Lord, stretch us in our prayer life. I want to pray more effectively, not less effectively this year. I want to draw closer to you and understand your will. So, Lord, I pray that you'll speak and move me out of the way, Lord. Teach us whatever you want us to know today. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. Well, point A on your outline, if you're following along on a, a paper outline in your bulletin or on the app, is simply this, that fasting enhances our prayers because it helps us focus spiritually. It's not magic. It's not an incantation. There's nothing, uh, no sprinkles of, of some kind of magic dust or anything like that. Nothing like that. But it helps us focus spiritually. Um, let me just read a scripture and then make a comment. John 4, 23, Jesus was talking to a woman <coughs> and ex explaining who he was, the Messiah, and he said, the time is coming, indeed, it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. 
For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The Bible makes it very clear that we are more than just flesh and bones. In fact, the Bible says that we are body, soul, and spirit. Now, I don't want you to be confused by this. Our soul is the essence of who we are. That's us. My soul is me, and I live on forever. My body is how I connect to the outside world. It's how I connect to y'all. It's how I connect to the physical universe. My spirit is how I connect to God, is the simplest explanation I can give you. So when I'm fasting, what I'm doing is I'm saying, hey, I'm taking a lot of the energy that I've been spending on my physical body, I'm taking some of the energy there and putting additional time and energy into connecting here. Let me just hold that thought as we go through this. And that takes us to the next point. Fasting means intentionally denying our bodies so we can better communicate with God through our spirits. Body, soul, and spirit. Now remember, when I'm, before I became a believer, this spiritual connection to God is broken. I wasn't listening to God at all. In fact, when you and I talk to spiritual truths to people who aren't believers, they think it's all nonsense. They're fine with fasting for physical gains, but they go, there is no spiritual dimension. There isn't even a God. What are you talking about? This is all broken. But when we have a right relationship with Christ, man, now we have a wide open connection. The question is, will we intentionally invest in that? And when you think about intentionally investing time and energy and setting aside space to connect to God more, well, now fasting makes a lot of sense. So Paul talked about this in 1 Corinthians 9. He said, all athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete. And if you would please write that down there or underline that, I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I might, be, I might be disqualified. I discipline my body. There was a um, Scottish preacher named George MacDonald who lived in the 1800s, and he said, you know, when you raise your children, never tell them that they are a body that has a soul. Rather, tell them they are a soul that wears a body. Because then they'll think of things rightly. I mean, I hope you believe that when we die and go to heaven, we get brand new bodies that will never die again. If that is your hope, would you say amen? amen. Well, that's mine. I mean, this one's wearing out. I want a brand new body in heaven one day. But isn't it amazing, even though we know this body is dying and it's mortal and it won't go with us to heaven, we spend all kinds of time pampering it. I am very clear on what this body wants. I am clear on what it likes to eat. I am clear on where it likes to sit. I am clear on how far it wants to run before it says I'm done. <laughs> and so are you. And so we spend so much time on this connection. The question is, when are we going to spend some additional time on this one? When have we ever intentionally said, God, I want to spend, I want to take some of the resources and time that I've been spending here and devote them here. Paul, 1 Corinthians 2. But people who aren't spiritual can't receive truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds like foolishness to them. They can't understand it. But only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. I mean, non-believers don't have this connection. 
They don't even think like this. And so today, I'm talking to us as believers here, hey, what if we invested in our connection to God? Fasting is a way to do that. Additional time, additional attention devoted to him. But it's very intentional. It won't happen by accident. That brings us to point two. So it's, if fasting is what helps us focus spiritually, then fasting must never be done to impress others by looking spiritual. This isn't about appearances. And Jesus made this very clear. If I'm going to take additional time and spend time with God, connecting to him, so I know what he wants me to do, I understand his direction, I, and I'm seeking peace or help or whatever it might be from him, I can't be doing this to impress others. That's the wrong motive. Now, when you fast, don't make it obvious. This is Matthew 6, writing to his He's speaking to his disciples. As the hypocrites, don't, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled so people admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that's the only reward they'll ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face. Well, I'd recommend that every day. But anyway, then no one will notice that you are fasting except your father who knows what you do in private. And your father who sees everything will reward you. Now that's what we're doing this for. We're saying, hey God... I'm going to take some time, schedule some time, where I can be just with you. This is more important to me to talk to you about this than it is to eat. And whether anybody else knows I'm doing that, that's not even important. I'm not doing it for them. In fact, if I'm doing it to impress you, and Jesus said, well, I hope that's all you want because that's all you're going to get. God does, God's not impressed with that at all. If you're going to talk to me, talk to me. Point three, fasting must also never be done to manipulate God. I told you before, it's not magic. If you think, well, if I fast and pray, if I fasted three days or if I fasted three weeks, then God has to give me what I want. If I fast for three weeks, then I have to get the car or I have to get the house or I have to get the girl or the guy because God owes me. Mm -mm. That's not the way it works at all. In fact, in the Old Testament, there were people doing something pretty close to that in Isaiah's time, and the Lord rebukes them. We fasted before you, they say. Why aren't you impressed? We've been very hard on ourselves, and you don't even notice it. These are people talking to God. Well, I'll tell you why I respond. It's because you're fasting to please yourselves. Please underline that. You're fasting to please yourselves, to manipulate, to get what you want. Even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. What good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? What kind of fasting is never going to get you anywhere with me? It's about a relationship. I'm very clear on how I connect to the world. Think about it all the time. What you're going to see here as we go through some more of these scriptures is people throughout the Bible said, I'm taking some time well, I'm going to connect to God. I need God's help. I need his direction. I'm not just going to be dominated by the thoughts of this physical world. I'm more than that. And I need God more than food. Hmm. Here's another point. Biblical fasting involves refraining from food, possibly water, for a period of time. Again, it's intentional. Three kinds of fasts that I saw in here, and again, these are my categories for this. It's just, but I've seen these over and over again at different places. But 
there'd be what would be called a normal fast, and that would involve abstaining from food for a period of time. Could be for a meal, could be for a day, could be for a week. In the case of Jesus, it was for 40 days. Jesus was led by the Spirit, Matthew 4, into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. And for 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. And you can underline very hungry. That's the outer edge of survival, from what I understand. The rule of thumb is you can live about three days without food and water. You, without water, anyway. You can live about three weeks without food, most people. It's just a rule of thumb. To go 40 days, you're, you're on the edge of starvation. Jesus allowed that because... Uh, Hebrews, tells, Hebrews 4 tells us that Jesus faced all the same temptations we do, yet was without sin. But he didn't just face the same temptations at the same degree. He faced them at the ultimate degree. At the end of 40 days, here's what happened. During that time, the devil came and said to him, now if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. He was out in the wilderness, so there's rocks everywhere, nothing to eat. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say people don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He's talking about the very thing here. We don't live by bread alone. We're more than beasts who feed our stomachs. We live by the word of God. That's what feeds our souls. And it's important we embrace this. And Jesus embraced it ultimately. And you'll notice his temptation paralleled the temptation of Eve. Only Eve was tempted in the middle of a garden where there was fruit on every tree around her. She probably had a big breakfast that morning. And she still gave in to the temptation. Or she and Adam both did. Jesus hadn't eaten in over a month. And he still relied on God's strength more than his stomach. Amazing. And so if we fast and stuff, that's why it's such a silly thing to say, well, if I fast, you owe me something. It's like, mm-mm. That's not the point of this at all. And if you wondered, would God understand us if we got hungry or fast? Of course, Jesus understands us completely. So a normal fast would involve abstaining from food. An absolute fast, point two, would be abstaining, would involve abstaining from food and water. You find this a couple of places in the Bible. Queen Esther's time, she did this. People of Nineveh did this. The prophet Jonah, the Old Testament prophet Jonah, had been sent to a very wicked city called Nineveh. God told them to go through the city and tell them 40 days from now, God's going to destroy this place. Y'all have been so wicked. As he went through the city proclaiming this, and it cut people to the quick. Here's how they responded. The people of Nineveh believed God's message, and from greatest to least, they declared a fast, and they put on burlap to show their sorrow. Then the king and his nobles sent this decree throughout the city. No one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks, may eat or drink anything at all. Now, that's an absolute fast. And the dog's wondering what he did, Okay. But what's interesting is, is that you go on a couple of verses later, the king of Nineveh says, who knows, God may yet relent. And it says, the Lord noticed. Isn't that something? But it was absolute. And they said, there's nothing more important right now, nothing than getting right with God. Man, that's a good motive for fasting. There's also such a thing in Scripture as a partial fast. There's a normal fast, an absolute fast, a partial fast. That involves abstaining from some foods while eating others. Daniel did this. Daniel fasted um, the normal fast in chapter 9 and chapter 10. He did a partial fast. 
He had just been given a great vision of times yet to come, and it made his heart really heavy. And he was in his 80s at the time when he got this, and um, he fasted for three weeks. And apparently he ate enough to keep going, but he didn't eat anything more than that. He said, at that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips. I used no lotions at all for three weeks until they were over. He was begging God for understanding because he was just, his heart was so heavy. He was grieving. I thought, I got to take this seriously. I got to spend additional time with God. And you get the idea he was eating a sustenance diet. So he could spend more time praying. So here are three good reasons to fast. First of all, it's good to fast when we urgently need God's guidance and help. I mean, when would it be a good time to schedule some time to say, God, I need a connection from you. I want to spend some additional time with you. Well, one good time would be exactly what happened during the time of King Jehoshaphat. Messengers came and told him, a vast army from Edom is marching against you from beyond the Dead Sea. And Jehoshaphat was terrified by this, big, by this horrible news, and he begged the Lord for guidance. He also ordered everyone in Judah to begin fasting. So people from all the towns of Judah came to Jerusalem to seek the Lord's help. We're seeking the Lord's help because this is more important than anything else today. I hope this makes sense to you. I talked to somebody on the way as they were walking out this morning after the first service, and they were... We were talking about this, and they said, you know, it's so funny you talk about fasting, because I know exactly what we're going to have next Saturday night when I cook out with my parents. And my wife and I were talking about what we're going to eat today for lunch, and we've got all kinds of meals planned, and we have never once sat down and planned an evening where we wouldn't eat that evening and just pray. Never once. So I could connect more effectively spiritually. I am very in tune with what I'm going to wear today, what I'm going to eat today, where, when I'm going to take a nap today, is my car chair set on setting number two and is the air conditioning just right? I know all of that. So do you. But when have we said, I'm putting additional time into a spiritual connection? That's intentionally scheduling it and saying, mm-mm. I'm not focusing on physical needs. I'm focusing on you because I need help and I need guidance. God gave it to him, by the way, and gave him a great victory. Point two, it's also good to fast when we urgently need courage to do hard things. When we urgently need courage to do hard things. Esther faced this. Her people were in great danger and she was somebody that she was convinced God had put her in a unique position to help save the lives of all the Jewish people. But it required her to do something very dangerous. She would need to approach the king and ask for a favor from him. And so if she's going to do this, if she goes in unannounced, he may kill her. And so she sent a message to her uncle who shared her convictions and even challenged her to go see the king, no matter the consequence. And she said this, Go and gather together all the Jews of Susa, that's the city where they were, and have them fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will come and do the same. And, though it, and then, though it's against the law, I'll go to see the king. And if I must die, then I must die. You go, Esther. 
Schedule the time. Tell the people in the city, connecting with God is more important than anything they have to do for the next three days because this could save all our lives. King of Nineveh, tell the people of the city, this is the most important thing we can do. Jehoshaphat, this is the most important thing we can do. We need to connect to God right now. We've been connecting to our bellies and our clothes and everything for a long time. We need to connect spiritually. That's why fasting enhances our prayers. It simplifies our priorities and reminds us we're standing in God's presence so he can guide us now. Jehoshaphat needed guidance and help. Esther needed courage to do hard things. You might have a hard confrontation coming this week. You might have a difficult circumstance you have to face next month. But wouldn't it be smart to set aside some time with God and talk to him about it first and ask him what to do? Here's a third circumstance. There's many more, by the way, in Scripture. I'm just giving you three. It's good to fast when we suddenly realize we've been terribly wrong. That's what happened to the Apostle Paul. Before he was the Apostle Paul, he was known as Saul, Saul of Tarsus. And Saul of Tarsus punished and persecuted Christians, arrested them, dragged them out. Saul of Tarsus was even there when a guy got stoned. Just for being a Christian, people stoned Stephen. He was on a mission to go arrest a bunch of Christians in Damascus, Syria. He'd left from Jerusalem, gotten orders from the high priest. And he was on his way to go collect these Christians and drag them back in chains. And on the way, Jesus appeared to him and blinded him in a vision. And here's part of the conversation. Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. So Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus, and he remained there blind for three days. But listen to this. He didn't eat or drink. God didn't seal his mouth. He blinded his eyes. Saul was the one who didn't eat or drink. For three days, he sat there realizing Everything that he had thought he was doing rightly was completely wrong. And this may happen to you. Where everything, all of a sudden, one day you realize you've been terribly wrong. You falsely accused someone. You've been terribly wrong. You judged the situation out of fear. You were dealing with some kind of junk from your past. Who knows? But it was terribly wrong. And now you realize it. A great thing to do would be to schedule some time to talk to God and say, God, it's more important than me indulging my flesh right now is to spend some time fasting talking to you. Will God listen to our prayers whether we fast or not? Of course. The whole idea is to get rid of clutter. To help me focus on my spiritual side, not just my physical side. And that's why people do it. It's voluntary. And Jesus doesn't want us to do it. I'm not requiring anyone. No one here has to do any of this. But I hope you would understand that people did this. Paul did this. Jesus did this. Nehemiah did this. Moses did this. 
David did this. I can keep going. Esther did this. We can go through person after person after person after person in the Bible. And the reason they did was they said, God, I want you to have my full attention. And it's especially true when we're going through grief. We've been wrong. We need courage. We just don't even know what to do. So here's how you and I would start. If you've never done this before, here are four common sense guidelines. First of all, start with short fast or partial fast and build up to longer fast. And you don't have to start out fasting three days in a row. What if you fasted one day? Or like I said, what if you scheduled one meal, one night, one time, you and your spouse, and said we're going to devote this evening to prayer because we are very concerned about something or we need God's help on something? What would happen if you did it one time? Start small. The other thing, the other thing is, if you fasted one day per month over three months, you still would have fasted three days. You don't have to do them three days in a row. But it's scheduling time to be with God and focus on Him. Secondly, fast only if your health allows it. See a doctor if you're unsure. Now, my guess is, because we live in Alabama, if we asked our doctor, hey, would it be okay if I missed a meal? He'd go, oh, yeah, you'll be fine. <laughs> I doubt that the doctors would say, oh, no, no, you're on the edge of starvation here. I don't, I don't think that's most of us. But if you're in doubt, if you have a medical condition or a, some other problem, well, then there's still the partial fast. You can do those things too. Thirdly, we need to adjust exercise and strenuous activity accordingly when we fast. I mean, if we're not taking any calories, if you're going to do a week of fasting, then you better adjust some exercise time. Say, I'm not going to do that this week. Because the goal, again, is to focus on him. By the way, this last year, Debbie and I did a number of different fasts at different times. And especially the one-day fasts, I scheduled those at uh, times when I had the day off anyway. So nobody was going to notice. I mean, usually people don't call me up. Did you eat lunch today? Just want to know. Nobody's going to call you. Now, if you can schedule these things at the right time, then you can do it for the right reason. But it takes planning ahead and then saying, and on those days I found I got a double benefit, I would also turn this thing off so I could really focus on him. Fourthly, fast and uh, with a friend or a group so you can encourage each other. Let's pray together. It's a whole lot easier when I'm going through something the same parallel to a physical workout if I get somebody to encourage me. The reason I wanted to talk about this today is this is an important part of Scripture over and over again where people of faith said, I am more than just a body. And I don't want to just take care of my physical needs all the time. I want to connect to God spiritually. And what if I said no to my body and said no? What if I buffeted it, made it my slave, so it would do what it should? I will not be ruled by my stomach. I'll be ruled by my heavenly father. And I'm going to spend time with him and ask him what to do. That's the idea behind fasting. And I hope 
today this encouraged you a little bit. We're going to spend 30 days in prayer and say, hey, what would help us? I mean, the whole idea behind this series is 30 days to pray more effectively. If fasting is done the right way, it can help us pray much more effectively. Would you pray with me now, please? Heavenly Father, I just thank you for today, and I thank you for your word. It's our guide in all matters of faith and practice. And Lord, I know you want us to spend time with you. And I know there are many times in my life, Lord, when I have been extremely conscious of my appetite, and I've planned way ahead on what I'm going to eat. And I wish I could say that there's been just as many times when I've planned way ahead when I'm going to spend an evening with you. But it's not true. Forgive me. I pray, Lord, if nothing else came out of this lesson today, that we'll be intentional about time with you. That we'd be willing to set aside time and deny ourselves some physical things so we could be more sensitive to spiritual things. Lord, I thank you that you're always watching over us and you listen to us. And you're always more ready to listen than we are to pray. And we can boldly approach your throne because of what Jesus did for us. I pray that we will do that more often and bring all our requests to you. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.